Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Carousel Podcast. Today, I have with me T.R. Hudson. He's a writer. He's an editor of Cars and Women magazine. Um, and I've just finished reading his book, which is called Automaton. And I will let T.R., <clears throat> Mr. Hudson, explain it. But what I'll say about this book is... Normally for this podcast, I try and skim the underlying work if there is one, read it quickly, and then steer the conversation towards propaganda and um, marketing or whatever the, the topic is going to be uh, for people in our world. But when I started reading this book, I kind of realized that it deserved the reading of a not a book that's on the PR circuit, but a book that I really wanted to actually fully digest because the ideas in it are so interesting and so good. And your writing style is so like deceptively simple that I realized I was actually reading something that I really wanted to pay attention to deeply <laughs> and, and really absorb fully. So I kind of shifted gears to reading it more like I would read a work of you know, Conrad or, you know, a work of literature that I really care about reading because I think it deserves that level of reading. The ideas in it, again, are so good. Um, But when I first glanced at it, I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic America book. It has, you know, a lot of these typical tropes in it. So I, I was like, you know, thinking, oh, it's going to be kind of just another one of these things. But really, somehow you take this very well-worn area and you make it like really fascinating and really interesting. And you set up characters and you set up a world that is very compelling and really deserves mainstream attention. Like, I really am not just saying that I really, really think this book deserves to be read, read like widely by people. So... I'd love to hear you, because I'm going to do a worse job describing it, just kind of describing the world and the characters of this book. So who is the automaton and what is this world that he lives in? Sure. And uh, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me on. I'm a big fan of your work and also the the guys that you've had on. Uh, I've, I've found a few people uh, through through your podcast that I just really enjoy. And also you've had a bunch of my friends on. Uh, so yeah, I just, you know, I hope you keep up the good work. And again, thank you for, for having me, uh, as far as automaton, the automaton in the story is a man named Michael Connors. He was a soldier turned bounty hunter, uh, in a, as you described a post-apocalyptic America, uh, it's, it's teased here and there, uh, what the actual apocalypse was. But the aftermath, which I, I feel is more important, uh, is that the east coast of the United States, up until like maybe uh, the mountain, the mountain west region, uh, except for Texas, which I, we could go into, um, has lost its power grid. Right, no, no electricity for a vast majority of the country, uh, which has uh, set up you know, all sorts of tribalism on the East Coast. Uh, Texas has declared itself to be an independent country. The West Coast uh, declares itself to be its own independent country. There's a, a trillionaire on the East Coast who's trying to, you know, build build the East Coast back up 
uh, by himself. He has uh, this company called Deluge uh, that he's using to finance and, and build up, you know, his armies, his his infrastructure. So we, our main character it works for that company. He's tasked with assassinating a scientist who uh, is being has been accused of causing the catastrophe that um, that has that basically caused what is known in world as May Day, which is uh, the the horrible catastrophe that um, caused the blackout. Uh, and and yeah, there's just a lot going on. It's mostly about Michael Connor's uh, journey of self-actualization of trying to become more human um, because of some you know horrible government experiments that have been done to him. I know that that's that's a lot for your uh, listeners out there. Uh, I'm I'm sure as we go on, it'll become more clear because uh, there's a lot of plot. Right. So the two standout things that you've already mentioned are the world that you've created is a post-apocalyptic landscape. So it's America, but it, you've seen it in the road. You've seen it in Delicious Tacos is um, it's finally some good news. Have you read that? I, I, I actually started it uh, a while back. I just I put it down, unfortunately, because uh, my ADHD brain won't let me uh, <laughs> stick to one thing at a time. Right. So we have this post-apocalyptic landscape. But the difference here is that there's this political map drawing that happens that you get a great sense of right away that the West Coast is the Pacific States Republic, and it is a political entity that is more or less woke commies, right? Or maybe not com communist, but sort of woke, wokery, right? Yeah, it's it's funny. I actually had them... Uh, originally they were going to just be out and about communists yeah. uh, when I was kind of putting this whole thing together. And I thought, okay, uh, let's, let's try and, and make this straw man a little bit more real. Uh, yes. Yes. And, and I decided to just make it a continuation of neoliberalism. And I, thought, is, so yeah. Sorry. I thought that was not only more realistic, um, but also it's it just more compelling because uh, it's easy to just write a bunch of like Trotskyists uh, trying to put shit together, but and and maybe it'll be almost buffoonery, but that that's a different book. You know what I mean? Right. And, well, and I think that that was very effective because it was vaguely woke communist, not which is exactly what neoliberalism is, right? And so I think that that was really successful, the way that you set up <coughs> the PSR, or uh, yeah, PSR, which is sort of the, the left side of the map, or the, you know, California side, and, it's, and San Francisco is the capital. And then on the, the East Coast, you have what is basically ultra fat corporate fascism. So you know, the divide in contemporary culture is essentially the political lines of the map of this world that you're drawing. Um, and what's really incredible is that you don't betray your politics at all. It never it, it's never clear which side you, it seems like both sides are equally bad. Is that right? Um, yes and no. So I, I uh, I'm a when I was in college, I got a 
a lot of credits towards a political science degree, especially international relations. Uh, so I, uh, much like our mutual friend, the Prudentialist, uh, come from the realist school of thought. So it's not so much about what I think is good or what I think is best. It's about all right, what is, is the thing? What does it do well? What does it do not well? Uh, and how would it exist in this world? So you're saying that that's you're saying these two systems side by side are some things they do well, some things they do poorly, and you're not really. I'm trying saying, to be value neutral about yeah, it. Yeah, you're trying to be value neutral. It's not like one. It's not like the 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 uh, corporate side, which is called the fascist side by the communists. It's not like that side is liberty, and the other side is. Yeah, I'm not writing Ayn Rand here. You know? Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> right. So can you describe, so we know that, what are the differences in these two societies? Well, uh, the infrastructure on the West Coast is wholly intact and has actually been built upon. Uh, so uh, automated vehicles, uh, you know, very, very near future-esque things. Uh, they both, they both, heavily emphasized drone warfare uh so drones have gotten very advanced uh in this near future setting uh to the point that they're cheap to manufacture uh at at a large scale and they're almost just throwing throwing drones at each other um trying to gain um sky supremacy over you know the heartland of the united states uh as far as you know socially uh very much on the west coast you have a social aspect on the east coast not so much because they're still rebuilding uh the west coast has you know uh almost like a universal basic income uh everybody's guaranteed a job um let's let, let's call them vagrants uh or homeless people or even just uh what we'll see later in another installment political prisoners they are uh sent to work in the fields <laughs> they uh they provide the food for the the PSR uh you know what what is definitely slave conditions but what they kind of justify as well these people were addicted to drugs they're you know we're giving them uh three hots and a cot uh they're doing just fine you know so it's very much uh very, I very much inspired by like the gulags yeah uh but you know just in in sunny California. So the, the weather's pretty nice. Um, on the East Coast, you have basically like a, a few square miles of New Jersey uh, that are trying to build out uh, civilization. So you have the, the Olympus Tower, which is the home of Deluge. It's the largest skyscraper in the world. And at the top of it is uh, Alex Mercer. He's the the fir world's first trillionaire. You know, he's uh, very much a he. He's the son of a Donald Trump esque figure. Very kind of tech broy with the way that he made his money. Um, and he decides that he can do a better job of rebuilding things and running a government himself. Uh, so he's he's rebuilding the East Coast. Uh, what you get in the second book is actually his story and how hard that actually is and the uh, geopolitical struggle that building a nation 
comes with, uh, which I'm in the middle of writing right now. Uh, hopefully we'll have that done. I don't want to give any promises because uh, it's been slow going, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the East coast. But what is life like on the East Coast? Because because it, it isn't life on the East Coast just totally like it's basically warlords. Yeah, yeah. So life on the East Coast. Yeah, I would say that it it is a a small collection of strongmen, uh, who kind of run their little enclaves, and slowly but surely they're being absorbed into this growing power. Uh, of of deluge but that's it's it's almost like um they they own pieces on the map like they, they color in pieces on the map but they don't own that territory they just they work with the local warlords uh so if you're just an average person more than likely you are uh you know paying homage to uh some guy who happens to be stronger than you who happens to have the loyalty of others uh who has a access to food and water uh, and you're just, you know, trying to survive. And sometimes the the easiest way to survive is just to volunteer for the deluge army. Uh, and even though that that's almost a, a death sentence in and of itself, but it's maybe preferable to starving to death, right. which okay, a lot so, of people do. Right. right. So so <clears throat> we have on the, on the California side, going up to the middle of the country, we have this communistic gulag state where everybody they're totally surveilled everything about them is surveilled right and but they live like a pretty decent kind of subsistence life like their needs are taken care of uh they basically are you know it's kind of like cuba or something where it's like everybody's kind of poor but they all nobody's homeless everybody has their medical needs taken care of they're totally surveilled that's like the life on on the east coast it's, it's sorry, like a west big coast. longhouse yeah it's like a giant longhouse right so it's a giant longhouse on on the west coast and they are at total war with the mercer company which is called deluge which is on the east coast and on the east coast you have kind of a libertarian mad max world where there's all these um kind of high, ultra hierarchical male dominated fiefdoms like africa you know kind of like um just power-based uh warlords and then you have the company which is there it seems like they're pretty much their only function is recruiting people to join their giant massive growing army that's fighting the west coast right yeah, more or less. I mean, there there are more aspects to the company than just you know building an army. Um, but you know, because our main character is a recruiter for that army, we really don't see anything else of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what else? What else could you do? So say you joined. Say you were just like a woman who joined up with the company with the Deluge. What could like? What would your life be like if you were living in Boston or something? Right. So. You'd have, you'd have one. You'd have to move down to where they are because they're just not there. Have you ever played that game Civilization? Uh, no. Sid Meier's. No, I haven't. Uh, well, I mean, there's this idea of like growing tall and growing wide, right? So, so Deluge right now is growing tall. They're they're trying to 
build up as much as they can in their limited area. That way they can move out uh, from a position of strength rather than grab as much land as possible and have a weak interior. So say you're, if you're a woman in Boston, you're, you're pretty fucked. <laughs> you're not, you're, you're more likely just going to submit to the local uh, chief or warlord and try and, you know, just survive or even try and get into Canada maybe, which is its own sort of uh, trek and own sort of has its own dangers because um, Canada in this world, you know, grows a pair and says, hey, we're actually not going to take any American refugees. Uh, Canada's full, uh, which I know is is a, a great fiction, but, you know, it's what I came up with. Right. So, <clears throat> okay. So the company is kind of smaller. Uh, um, where are they again? Where, where's the, so, so they're across from New York Jersey. city, uh, in Jersey city. Okay. Why there? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and for reasons that become clearer in the second book, uh, it was supposed to be in New York, uh, but politics gets in the way. So they end up having to build the world's largest skyscraper in New Jersey instead of New York as kind of a fuck you to New York. So are you kind of go, going for like Randianism, hyper-capitalism on the East versus flat communism on the West? Um, no, I don't, I don't think that Alex Mercer is a Randian. Okay. Um, I think he's, I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to go more for, uh, I, I would say that he's more of a monarch than, okay. than like a, a Randian super CEO. Okay. What's the difference between a Randian super CEO and a monarch? Uh, I would say that uh, a monarch is more, so, so there's a great, there's a great book called The Song of Roland. It's a really old poem. Uh, are you familiar with it? No, The Song of Roland? No. Yes. So it's um, it's about Charlemagne and his uh, conquest of Spain and, you know, him fighting the Muslims. Uh, they, they are retreating back into France after this big victory, but the Muslims are hot on their tail. Um it, it, it's a really great poem I, I highly suggest it it's like one of the oldest po I think it's the oldest poem in France like it's the oldest poem written in French um the Song of Roland yeah wow. and there's there's a there's a part in the poem where Charlemagne uh wants to make a decision right and he's surrounded by all his liege lords right and he he wants to make this choice, but he knows that if he goes against one of his lords, the others will see that as almost treacherous. So he's accountable to the men around him. It's not just that he is the king, uh, you know, a CEO, you know, in the in the mold buggy in sense, uh, in the Randy in sense, the, the the guy with all the power can kind of do what he wants because he has this this uh, will to do it, and everybody else just kind of falls in line. Yeah. Uh, a king there, there's accountability there whether it's accountability to god whether it's accountability to the lords under him um it's 
the, whether it's accountability to the people themselves, you know, uh, I, I'd say that, uh, you know, whether there, there's just a level of accountability in monarchy that you don't see in other systems. Okay, so yeah, right. So Randian's CEO Howard Rourke is just pure uh, talent. It's, it's fantasy. Yeah, right. Whereas <laughs> it's, a monarch, it's... a monarch has. It sounds like you have a little bit of um, uh, compassion, or you like Mercer. Mercer's like not a terrible guy. No, no, I don't think he's a terrible guy at all. Um, I mean, he's the, he's the protagonist of my second book, so I have to have a little uh, compassion for him. Got it, got it. Well, and let me just say, what what's so incredible about this book, and the reason why this really, really needs to be made into a movie, it's I I'm gonna set, I'm gonna give this to I have a few Hollywood like producer type friends. I'm gonna give this to them, um, because. I don't know if you've gotten any bites in in that way, have you? No, I haven't. Uh, I have I have a couple of really good friends online who have said similar things, and I feel like are doing way more work to to get this into other people's hands than I am, and I'm I'm really grateful for that. Um, but I, I I just wrote the thing, and you know whatever happens with it is uh, out of my hands at this point. Well, the reason why this needs to be made into a movie is because I, I went to see Tar the other day. Did you, have you seen that? I have not. So Tar is the new, it's a new movie by uh, Todd Field, who's actually only ever made two other movies. He made uh, Little Children and In the Bedroom. And he's been gone for like 15 years. He's the guy who plays the piano player in Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, okay. Todd Field. And he's this obviously really weird guy who just lives in Maine and um, for some reason has just been gone for 15 years after making two like hit movies, which is very rare, obviously. And uh, he just came up with this movie called Tar that's a, a lot about cancel culture and it's really good. And I went to see it the other day. It's been out for three weeks. The entire thing, it was sold out on a Friday night. Oh, wow. This is like an art movie. You know what I mean? And it's sold out. Everyone's talking about it. It's an incredible film. Everybody's like completely enraptured. And it's because it's about can cancel culture. You see Barbarian just came out. It's about, there's like a guy who's canceled in Barbarian. Everybody's talking about this movie. We're headed towards a kind of art regime where... Hollywood is going to be talking about this new paradigm. And obviously your book is not even remote. It, it, saying your book is about cancel culture is like the most retarded thing I could ever say. <laughs> but, but what's so incredible about your book is it takes this new paradigm, which I call nationalists versus globalists, right? It takes this new paradigm and it makes it very complex, in all the ways that you're saying, it's not this black and white, good guys, bad guys thing. It takes this new paradigm and it unpacks it and then explores it in such a way that is really honest and really like complicated. And so that's why I think this could be made into a movie because, you know, this isn't like uh, so many other books in our sphere. So much of the stuff that I write, for example, which is very one-sided. I'm trying, my goal is to fight a fight. That's why I exist. <clears throat> I'm not here to like tell a story so much. You know, I'm here to fight. Whereas this is truly a, 
it's you're describing and you're using your imagination to kind of unpack the current conflict in a way that's not really loaded in one way or another. Well, I think, I think that's almost intentional, um, at least subconsciously. I've, you know, since I came to like frog Twitter or whatever you want to call it, the dissident, right. I don't really care for labels. Um, but if that's your thing, that's your thing, you know, um, I've, I grew up, uh, in, a very like blue dog democrat sort of town uh i was i was pretty left when i was younger uh and you know i've, I've kind of run into these ideas uh on on our side of twitter and i'm like oh okay how do i i think that i think these are, are mostly correct right how do i but on the other side you know this is this is how i've grown up this these are the things that you know people that i really care about believe and they're not they're not these cynical tech bros. They're not, you know, they, they genuinely believe in, uh, I guess, whatever it is the regime is, is telling them, you know? Uh, so how do I kind of square those, those two, uh, those two thoughts? Well, like these, these, the, the, the kind of war for my soul in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think that, that, uh, the geopolitical landscape of my book kind of does that. Which is why I I don't particularly show my cards or take a side because I've met people on both sides and I'm like oh okay, and I hate to be the hey there are good people on both sides type thing because I'm that's you know pretty gay but uh, <laughs> yeah. but genuinely you know like my dad's a union guy uh, I, I I I can't I can't say anything bad about unions even though I've met some really scummy union guys you know what I mean like right. yeah. Like life's just messy and complicated. Yeah, I mean, I hate when people say it's complicated, but but I I feel you, man, and it's I I love what you just said about it being kind of describing the battle for your soul, and that brings us to the main character of this, who's Michael Connors, and he is the perfect character to be going through this left and right battle for your soul because of a very specific reason. So can you just tell us, you, you mentioned earlier that he go, is the victim of a terrible experiment. So what is that experiment and why is he the automaton? Sure, so uh, before before all this happens and, and it's not really described outright in the book, uh, I kind of, you know, tease it here and there, but you know, America goes to war with Iran, right? Uh, just more adventurism in the Middle East. We don't learn our lessons from Iraq or Afghanistan. We just kind of send the troops over because freedom. Um, a new technology to stop soldiers from developing post-traumatic stress is this is this sort of uh, pharmaceutical slash technological um, numbing of one's emotions uh, known as ETP, right? And enhanced training protocol, it's like military speak, that means nothing, right? Uh, and it comes from this, this desire to like, okay, we've got these guys that are struggling, they're like, we can't have them uh, going on deployments when they're, you know, feeling like they're the, like they wanna just kill themselves all the time. Uh, how do we, 
how do we how do we cure PTSD or make it not happen? So the government solution, of course, is like this to create like these, you know, Frankenstein type type monsters that they have control over. Uh, Michael Connors uh, ha has this procedure done to him. He's a very effective soldier because of it. And then he gets blown up. Uh, he is and he's stuck in that permanent. He's stuck in a permanent state of emotional castration. So for, you know, almost a day for a decade and, and some change, he has been living like, like an automaton, like, uh, like just a, like a soulless machine. Right. So, and can you just tell us why, which is one of my favorite parts, why he's stuck? Uh, right. So, um, much like, much like MK ultra, uh, and, and, uh, trigger phrases each each one of the soldiers who has this procedure done is given or it creates a trigger phrase for themselves that turns their emotions off uh michael connors has forgotten this phrase uh so that is why he's stuck in this state right so so some of the one of my favorite parts is they're all sitting around talking about what their phrases are and the first phrase that one of the soldiers has is a DMX line. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, it, most of it's because like, you know, I was, I was a soldier, so I know most of these guys, they're, they're just going to, you pick something that you know really well that only you kind of know, like, okay. When I, I had a security clearance and one of the things they say is like, okay, if you're ever captured uh, and we have to go and find you, uh, you need to say these certain phrases. So like, uh, they'll ask you almost, almost like, uh, what's your mother's big name, you know, shit like that. Right. So, uh, some guys, you know, will use the new England Patriots starting lineup, uh, from 2001, whatever. Some guys use, uh, book quotes. Some, some guys use song lyrics. Uh, one, one, one of the guys uses uh, a prayer, uh, that, that he and his, uh, church would say after their meetings uh yeah so it, it it's just you know you're you're not gonna it, it's it's rarely ever something really cool it's almost always kind of something personal and and verging on cringy because that's just how people are well but what was the connection to the real life military oh uh just um you know if you ever get captured and um, they they send somebody out to go find you in order to, they're gonna ask, they would ask you a certain set of questions that you would have the answer to, uh, almost like a almost like a challenge, just to just to uh, verify you are who you, who they are looking for. Does that make sense? Okay. So okay, so he the Michael Connors forgets his phrase because he gets blown up and he can't remember it afterwards the phrase can be anything like yeah i forget what the dmx lyric is but it's just and if if you say it or if anybody says it uh you turn off from this state of heightened power so this state of heightened power is called what's the acronym uh etp etp so when you're in etp you're like <clears throat> not only emotionless but you're also kind of stronger right 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 yeah and that, that that was like an earlier version for that one guy uh who was a navy seal who was like the guinea pig for this 
uh, they kind of temper it down with the uh, with the later versions. Yeah, and some people are like talk about fucking while they're in ETP mode. It it's a computer, right? So it's it's literally like a computer chip. Yes, yes, it's it, it's uh, it's just you know grafted onto your brain in in some ways, and it's uh, blocking certain uh, neuroreceptors. Right. And later on, for example, he meets another guy who's stuck in on mode and that guy got stuck in on mode, not because he forgot, but because the computer got like he got hit in the head with a meat cleaver and <laughs> the computer got like fucked up, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and guess that this is a metaphor for autism. <laughs> So, like, oh man, I never heard that, but uh, why not? That's why it works so fucking well because you have we're seeing this is why this character is so great and so contemporary and so relatable because he's basically autistic. Oh, like, that's he, awesome. He, he, like, he gets stuck in on mode, and when you're in on mode in ETP. You have like no emotions, you have no social cues. So he's an outcast because he can't like relate to anybody because he's in like emotion free. He like can't sleep. He's like, it, it can't have emotions basically. So he's this emotionless automaton, right? So any, every time he tries to relate to anybody, he can't do it, which is very autistic and like very contemporary. Oh man, that's that's really funny. So, I, that, I mean that, that you are you are not wrong at all but uh just i never thought about that yeah that's why i think he's such a perfect character and it's you know like because he's constantly getting in these situations where it's like social graces are important because okay so we should talk a little bit about the actual plot so um you also recommended recently the outlaw josie wales Yes, which yes. I watched yesterday, and it's such a great movie. Really, it really is. I'm I'm a huge fan of westerns, uh, so much so that I accidentally wrote one. <laughs> right. So you mean this? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So why is why do you refer to this as a western? Oh, I mean, so it, it's literally a journey of the frontier. They're they're moving from the east to the west in in covered wagons, uh, because any like if a car is. Uh, cars go too fast and are seen as military vehicles by the drones constantly overhead and get blown up right away. So they have to they have to walk or you know just take very uh, slow horse driven transportation in order to get across the country. Um, they they run into uh, you know all sorts of outlaws. They run into uh, it's it's very much the they've left. Uh, whatever is left of civilization and are moving through the unknown which i think is i, th I think that's the uh, the essence of the the frontier and the western story it's uh and i i had a thread about this on twitter the other day i think you read it um and i won't go into it because it was like in, in probably the longest thread i've written thus far uh but basically the western is the uh, is civilization coming to the frontier that's that's what the western is about mostly 
Yeah, and so just plot-wise in a Western, you have, yeah, like a, a group of people kind of <laughs> rolling around in this environment where anything is possible and uh, trying to kind of find themselves. So, yeah, can you just tell us why that ends up happening in, in this case? Because there's right. a whole thing of why this happens so so alex mercer the the trillionaire uh is recommended to have uh, a scientist named sydney posner assassinated uh he's given two guys um our, our our protagonist michael connors and one of the guys from his team uh known as donahue uh they're thought to be, you know, perfectly suited for this type of mission because the scientist happens to be in California. So they have to move from New York to California to go and kill this guy because uh, either for revenge, for, for causing May Day, uh, because they're worried that, you know, if he gets in the PSR's hands, he'll be able to uh, defeat Deluge with the technology that he's able to produce. Uh, and there's also a lot of personal animus there that is expanded upon um, in my other work. Uh, so they have to they have to you know walk cross country because uh, they can't take a vehicle uh, because of what I mentioned with uh, the the drones constantly monitoring for anything faster than a snail's play, uh, pace. And uh, and yeah, they 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 find their strength in numbers. Uh, so they decide to move with a bunch of people who are moving to the PSR. The PSR has coyotes who guide uh, people from the East Coast to the West Coast as their job because they believe heavily in liberating the East Coast from the treacheries of starvation, of deluge, uh, and, you know, just of of this sort of corporate fascistic uh, nightmare that they assume they're living under right so you have the the main character michael connors who's in stuck in on position and and like a really savage ultra hedonistic other soldier named donahue go undercover to basically pretend to be immigrants from the east to the west and they're getting shepherded by a coyote um, who basically works for the the um, PSR, who works yes. for the Pacific States. Yes, exactly. And it's his job to kind of shepherd people over. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's, he's literally trafficking in people. Right. So it, it is Western. It, you know, it's kind of the plot of, uh, have you seen 1883? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 1883 is about um, like a, yeah, kind of people who fall in with a group of what did they call those? The Scandinavians who they call them squareheads or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, square yeah, squareheads, that sounds familiar. Something like that. Yeah. And so um, and they're being led by a guy who like knows the West. So that's kind of like what's going on in, in this situation. So right. it's, they're, yeah, they're being, I mean, even, even in like Josie Wales, there's, there's that, Yeah, you know, you have the, the, the woman, the, the, the granny who's, uh, very opinionated and, and her entourage trying to make it to her son's, uh, homestead. And, uh, you know, they get, they get set upon by, 
the Comancheros and the Comanche and it, it, it's it's really I, I tried to capture the dangers of moving cross country uh one of one of my uh one of my friends actually made like a, a the first the first automaton meme which I, I appreciated and he's got uh, on it the uh the, the game Oregon Trail <laughs> yeah which I think uh, is is apt yeah yeah, well, it was just so funny that you were talking about Outlaw Josie Wales, and then I watched it and read this, and it was like I could see the similarities. Uh, there was quite a bit of similarities, obviously. Um, <clears throat> it's good to know that it's a trilogy, because I thought the end, so just total spoilers here, I thought the ending was going to be, I thought thought you set it up. I mean, I hope I don't spoil the rest of the trilogy, but I thought that you were going to, um, it's set up very early on that when somebody is stuck in on mode and then they hear their words uh, and they go back to being regular, they like die because they have so much pent up. I don't know. It's like, you know, like they're they're in. It's like you always hear those stories of when somebody's like captured for years, and then they get saved. Like there's actually a big risk of them dying because their whole body just like relaxes at once right like that's kind of a risk right yeah no and that's that's something that i've i i kind of i thought about playing around with um so you know cards on the table spoilers ahead uh he does not find his words at the end of the book he does not he does not transform back for anybody who's yeah uh, interested in reading um i apologize for ruining the ending (laughs) um but hey, you know, I said we said spoilers like five times, so that's that's on you. Well, and it's not going to stop you from reading it. I don't yeah, it's. I'd like to think it's good enough that you can read with knowing the spoilers. Well, um, and also it's a trilogy, so who yeah, knows what's going to happen in the in the subsequent? You know, maybe that does happen later. Very true. Um, I decided to. I ended it. It, it, it's weird. I ended it after chapter 15 and then I added an epilogue to kind of tie a few things together. Um, and I've gotten the feedback that, Hey, you know, this kind of wraps up really quickly. And I did that intentionally because after all, the story wasn't about him finding his sister. It wasn't about him actually killing the scientist and it wasn't about him kind of finding his words. It, 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 it was about Michael, finding peace with himself as he exists uh, in this on state in this in this autistic state (laughs) right uh which i'll be using from now on that's (laughs) awesome um he's 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 at war with himself because of what has happened to him and because of what he has been made into uh, and he's he's very self-conscious about that, but you know he almost, but he also doesn't really give a shit because he he literally cannot give a shit. Yeah, because he doesn't have emotions to begin. Right. With. Yeah. So, the the ending of his of his story in the book is okay. This is this is life. I I have to come to terms with it, and I can exist, uh, as I can exist as fully as I as possible for uh with my circumstances and still live like kind of a a whole uh, a whole life uh right. with friends and family and 
and everything that that makes life kind of worth living. So are you saying that you wrote the <clears throat> epilogue after you got feedback that it ended too abruptly? No, no, I, I, I wrote the epilogue uh, fully knowing it, it, because I knew this was going to be a trilogy and I had to set a few things up and there were a few questions that I wanted to answer. Uh, so it didn't, I didn't, but I also didn't want to make it almost, I didn't want it to undercut the real ending. So that's why I kind of put it all in an epilogue, if that makes sense. Uh, if if I'd have, if I'd have expanded upon say him reuniting with his sister, uh, and that became the ending, it would undercut some of the growth that he had uh, in in um, the previous chapter. Right, and so I think once you know it's a trilogy, that deals with because I also thought it did end kind of abruptly, which but the way that it ends is first of all very western-ish to begin with it's like it, it it has a very western ending uh but once you realize that it's a trilogy i think it makes a ton of sense because it's like well you gotta you know the first in a trilogy has to have an ending but it's never going to be the full ending you know it's it's always kind of like a abrupt it's always going to be a little bit abrupt because you know you have to close the arc but you have to also keep the arc open right right um, and and I mean I think I did I think I did enough kind of layering stuff throughout the narrative that it's not um I, I, I don't think I just you know quote unquote subverted expectations to take uh uh the the much memed upon Ryan Johnson sort of answer. Uh I don't think I I played around with the with the reader and kind of threw something out of left field at them. Uh, I think it, I think I did a pretty good job setting it up. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think I think it's very uh, it's very well structured. Um, so yeah, in, in for the end here, let's talk a little bit just about um, how you came to this and how you did structure it and how you learned to do this, and also just the packaging of it and the marketing of it and like what you're hoping to do from here. So you you mentioned the structure. How did you learn to structure something? I mean, is this just total autodidact or did you? Uh, I mean, I took a couple of writing courses in college, but, you know, I watched a lot of television and movies growing up and I started reading more uh, as an adult. Uh, and, you know, it, it just kind of learned by doing. Uh, I'd been writing this book uh, before I published it. I'd been writing it on and off for a couple of years. Uh, I also wrote a few different short stories and, you know, they say the best, the, the best uh, artists steal. <laughs> and I definitely, I'm not calling myself the best artist, but I definitely did steal from uh, better work. Uh, I, you know, I read a lot of Joseph Campbell. I read a lot of Carl Jung uh, and I watched a lot of Westerns and that helped me kind of, uh, create this narrative to like understand the structure exactly yeah so how about right yeah sorry go ahead sorry i i did a stream recently with uh with red hawk uh on his on his podcast man's hour and we talked about the hero's journey um and in media especially and once you kind of learn that all there are only like maybe a couple of stories 
you know, and the only thing that differentiates them is setting for them. And that's almost like window dressing. And then most importantly is the characters. If you have solid characters, you can just have them sitting in a room talking and that's compelling. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And the characters are very well done. In this. It's a, you really, you feel like emotionally, like who they are. Um, what about the writing quality? Like I, what I was immediately struck by was the simplicity of your writing. And so I think bad writing is not simple. <laughs> you know, like so many of the people whose stuff I read, it sucks because they just try way too hard. Not because they don't try enough, you know, generally trying less hard is good. So did you have to work on your prose at all? Or is this just what, do you like, did you have an editor here? Like, how did you? Uh, I, I edited the clear? book myself. Yeah. Um, and that, that I might, I might need to get an editor for the second one. Cause I still find mistakes uh, here. And yeah. There. There's a few, I mean, there's a little couple typos, but it's really very minimal. Yeah. Uh, and that, and then that's actually the revised version that you're reading. So, uh, I definitely I need to get like uh, a proofreader at the very least uh, for for the next one going forward. Well, right, but look, I don't mean that. Look, anybody who's self-publishing, there's going to be typos in there. No, no, I, I don't no, care no, about no. that. I more mean just the literal flow. You know, like the flow of the writing. Did you do you work on that? Is this just because that's something that, like, for example, somebody like me or somebody like you know, delicious tacos. I'm that's my number one concern. I'm always restructuring my sentences, writing them over again, gutting the words. I'm also a copywriter, right? So I've right. had to learn how to write extremely concisely. You know, like that's I'm always concerned with that. Do you think a lot about that? Like the structure of your paragraphs or anything? Or do you is I would say let it flow? I, I would say I let it flow. Um I before I type anything down or write it down, I've kind of played with it in my head for a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it almost comes out. It, it comes out nearly finished by the time that I actually put it on paper. Um, That's I was, ta I was talking to my wife the other day uh, and, you know, she was like, well, what, what would happen if like you lost your computer uh, and like you lost all your copies? I was like, oh, yeah, I could probably write the book uh, from scratch. Uh, and it wouldn't be exactly the same. I'm not like, you know, I did it or anything, but it, it, I, I, I think I'd mostly get it. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that, that's quite, you, I think you can sense that in your writing, that this is just coming right out into the page. Whereas it's like, I am such a different type of writer, you know, and I, I, but everybody's different, you know, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, my, my friend, my friend, Billy Pratt, uh, yeah is is much like that he's he very much needs to and he's described this to me before so it, i hope uh i'm not i don't mean this to come out as as throwing shade or anything but he says that he needs to very much uh pour over whatever he writes yeah. over and over again until he thinks it's perfect yeah that's how uh, I, I have to puke completely puke on the page and then clean up the puke <laughs> yeah and i mean, I mean like credit credit to you guys because i feel like if i did a little bit more of that if i feel feel like uh the, the, my work would be better it, i could only benefit from doing stuff like that well but your, uh, your work is also so different you know it's like your your work is really about 
I mean, I don't know. Look, I'm not going to tell you what your work's about, but the ideas are so good that the, the more simply that you can tell them, the ideas and the characters are so good that the simpler that you can tell them, the better, because that's really what you want to focus on. You know, I, I think. Um, and, yeah, and I, I mean, I started I started by like when I started reading, I read a lot of Hemingway. Yeah, uh, that was that was my my intro to like oh, you know, not all books are Harry Potter kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like there's there there's there's actual depth and masculinity and Well, but you know the story with him is he, you know, he actually did puke on the page and he had an editor who like cut 75% of his words. Down. Right, right. But I, I guess I mean lucky. in terms of like simplistic language, like yeah, yeah. like writing in a way that like I said, my, my dad's a union guy. So writing in a way that even my dad with a minimal education could could understand and appreciate. Right. Totally, totally. Yeah. No, I, I think it, for sure, it really... You know, because I mean, I like Faulkner. I like Melville. Uh, I really like Cormac McCa uh, McCarthy. I, I love Cormac McCarthy. Um, and, you know, whenever I read those guys, I have to run to the to the dictionary and 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 you know figure out what that word and what's great about them is they use the exact perfect word for whatever situation they're in well what uh, drives me nuts about cormac is he it's it's not like super flowery it's literally you know the name for some weird part of a wheel that you yeah, like never you I, know you have to like i i i love that, that though that, that, like <laughs> like um you know the the tips on the shoelaces; those are called aglets. So now yeah, you know what an like, aglet is. You know, like I I think that's awesome. Um, right, and then you have to learn like what the fuck is an aglet? Yeah, no, I I, I mean Cormac to me. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I I mean I could I want to hear other people gush about him as much as I love him. So please, <laughs> I'm actually not going to gush about him. I I love, of course, Blood Meridian is one of my all time favorite books, and I love it. I also really loved. Uh, no country for old men, but right. I actually didn't like the road. I liked Automaton way more than the road. Oh wow, honest. thank you. Yeah, that, yeah that, no. I get that, really that means bored. A lot. Most of the time, I'm completely bored by post-apocalyptic. I'm like, okay, you know, what are how many? I mean, you do have one scene that that is a replication of yep. the road in here. Not a replication, but just a, a whatever. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll tell people all the time. Yeah, that, you know, uh, uh, cannibals in a basement. Yes. That yeah, I stole that from McCarthy. Uh, right. Full cloth and right, uh, which is the scene we all remember from the road. So it's like it's good, but I, the road to me, it's just like all right, okay, you know, like it does it does nothing for me. You know, it just right. doesn't really contain anything interesting or new. It's like I once I've seen Mad Max, it's like, do I really need to see this? No. Yeah, um, and it, yeah. it's funny because I've had a few people you know, say to me early on, it's like, oh, you're writing post-apocalypse? Like, isn't that kind of done to death? And I was like, yeah, I guess, but, you know, we're just gonna, we're, we're gonna see, because um, uh, there, there was, there's a YouTuber and, and Twitter poster, Gio Penichetti. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, every, I, I like to think I'm his top guy, um, but, you know, uh, he was talking about The Walking Dead, and how in that apocalypse, you know, uh, there are a bunch of girl bosses running around. Everybody is, you know, multi-culty. Uh, if you're a lesbian, that's totally cool. You know, like, like it's, it's the neoliberal apocalypse. And that's just not how these things would happen, you know? Uh, and I, I, 
I I'm I'm gritty on on the edge of being grim dark when I wrote this book because I was like okay what 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 is real what are people really like if we were in a Hobbesian war of all against all you would not see you know the hippie commune kumbaya come together you would see I mean most people would just die of starvation right away because that's just the nature of the society that we've built up uh, you would see warlordism you would see just constant chaos until somebody was able to step up and say you know what we're just gonna we're just gonna stop we're going to build something i'm going to build something i'm going to be the leader and you almost have to be a dictator a fascist a uh, despot in order to bring order from just absolute hell yeah right Actually, one thing I wanted to ask you before we're done is what's going on in Texas? I sort of glazed over what in in the story, what is happening well, in Texas? So I was so when I was researching, you know, uh this book, I I learned a lot about the the grid of the United States. Texas actually exists on its own grid, which I thought was fascinating. It's on uh, the power grid. Yes. Actually, yes. so I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So there's the the eastern grid, uh, the western grid, and then like the I, Texas, and then like I think Oklahoma and a few other places has its own grid, right? So Texas would obviously take the opportunity to kind of become its own thing. I haven't done much with that idea in the books. I have ideas upon ideas, um, but nothing really executed yet when it comes to texas i've kind of got it there and um you know I've, I've had a few uh friends from texas be like don't you do anything to texas now you know, <laughs> good people live here and i'm like yeah good people live everywhere man uh, <laughs> so texas is it's gonna be its own thing yeah it's it's its, it's, its own player on the yeah. board um when when i i read a lot that like uh russia was involved in like the texit sort of thing yeah um, and I thought, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of similarity between Russia and Texas when you when you break break it down, especially uh, like oil economies. Um, and and Texas kind of has its own sort of oligarchy going on. There, there's um, an Odessa. There's an Odessa. In there, there is an Odessa, Texas. <laughs> uh, so I, I've been playing around with, you know, um, I've been playing around with the idea that if America was off the world stage the rest of the world would feast upon her either out of because of just the material abundance that the United States has um, out of resentment for being under the thumb of the GAE for the last 70 years going on 80, you know, uh, and, and also I support the government. I hope that the GAE stays forever. Uh, Just disclaimer for all our FBI agents listening to this podcast um right there are i i i could see the, the the rest of the world um just trying to take advantage of of a weakened united states and i think russia would would claim let's take a claim in texas uh so that's where i, I see that going uh you see that with the psr uh vaguely but then more overtly later on they are very much in the hands of china 
um and you know uh the east coast is very much a european affair yeah right well i'm interested to say i can't wait to see what happens with texas and what what the government of of texas is going to be yeah i thought i thought maybe that would be its own separate novella yeah Um, dude such a oh god i'm so excited this is so great i love that this i just yeah i just need to (laughs) you know get off my ass and actually write the thing wow you're doing great man so all right let's end with just uh how you're marketing this this motherfucker so you have uh the the cover of the book is kind of a play on uh what's the movie you know the old what is it metro what is it called uh oh metropolis metropolis yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's very art deco and there's a um, drone on it and it's funny because of course an automaton like is a drone and also the person is a drone so it's right kind of like both of those but why did you go with uh metropolis branding so I actually, so I didn't do the cover. Uh, the cover was done by my friend, Mike Vinson, uh, Twitter handle at MDVNSN, right? He's a very talented artist. Uh, he actually, he did the most recent cover for Man's World magazine. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he he was a Passage Prize guy. Uh, who who I think, is that? What's his at? Uh, at, at MDVNSN, so Mike Vinson. Uh, he, he's he's terrific. MDVNSN. Uh, so it's MDVNSN. Oh, yeah. there we go. MV. All right. Cool. Yep. Uh, he's he's a terrific artist. Really great guy to work with. And uh, he just, you know, before before I, uh, you know, before he agreed to to do the cover, he's like, hey, can I read this thing? Because I don't want to just put my work on anything. And him reading it and then him getting inspired to to create that cover uh, was just I've got I've gotten a lot of eyes on my book because of that cover alone. So I'm I'm eternally grateful to Mike. Uh, and I, re- I recommend him to everybody who's who's looking to get some artwork done because he's just he's fantastic. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, it's definitely very good looking. The only thing is that, that it's like, I just maybe I wish I. It doesn't feel uh, metropolisy to me at all. But it's like, um, so that's the only thing that it's like. It, this like looks like steampunk to me. You know what I mean? I, yeah, like I, I, I kind of get that. I yeah. when I was look when I was kind of giving him notes to to go about like, hey, I kind of want it to feel like this, right? Um, Originally, I wanted the the automaton on the cover to be made of glass or to be behind glass, because that's how Michael feels. He is trapped behind glass, his emotions on the other side. Yeah. Um, so it, I'd say the, the, the cover looks very sterile and yeah. cold. And I think, you know, I, I'm personally a huge fan of Art Deco. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. This is exactly what I wanted, you know, and he didn't even know I liked Art Deco. So okay. the fact that he kind of yeah. sussed that out was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the the whole Metropolis angle, I, I can see how that'd be confusing if you were like a fan of, of that film and then saw this cover. and um, But other other than the fact that they're both done in art deco style it's not there's not really a whole lot of uh connection there i want there to be like a map on it that's like to me like this is about geopolitics which is 
you know, that's the only thing. It's like this. I, I am not hating on it at all. I think it's great. It's a great cover. Don't change it. I'm just saying like there's something like to me when I think about the deep themes here, it's like I see like a map in my head for some so reason. so that I, I think like can so you because... I, I would have loved a map like can we get a map of can we get like a Westeros map you know what I mean like I would love to see that on the first page you know uh I mean that's that's something I haven't thought about playing around with it because we're using real world geography but it's something I could I could look into I'd have to I'd have to flesh out the world a little bit more uh I've got I've got ideas of ideas uh, about what the rest of the country kind of looks like yeah but and, uh, yeah right and then it's like we sort of see more of the map for with each you know book right. uh, anyway just just the thought but uh cool man well uh what are you doing to so we know we, you have your twitter account you're a you're a shit poster extraordinaire um as we all are right uh so what else are you doing to market it because you know, like you I, just I, you just did have you tried at all to submit the, the so where have you like submitted things and like what else are you doing just for all the writers out there because this is truly you know like so much no offense to people in our scene but so much of the stuff that you read is just like okay you know it's it's really not professional grade uh but reading this is like damn like this needs to be the fact that the mainstream literary world is overlooking this, they're going to really regret that <laughs> because this is not political work. Like my work for me, they definitely should not publish my shit. I hate them. My, <laughs> my, my existence is to destroy them. So the idea that I would ever get published in the Atlantic is just laughable because it's like my entire point of what I do is to kill the Atlantic. That's why I do what I do. Whereas for me, like this, book is very marketable to all audiences. It's just really smart. So I'm just wondering, have you tried to go the mainstream path? I, I actually didn't. I, I went, I, I went into this thinking, well, I went into this, you know, thinking, Hey, maybe I will submit it somewhere. I'll get an agent. I'll do that whole thing. And I actually saw an interview that zero HP Lovecraft did uh, where he was like, you know, I was just kind of a guy. Uh, I I read something and I thought, hey, I could do that. And from his interview, I thought, hey, I could do that. Uh, I, I, I was already kind of into Frog Twitter. Uh, I really liked uh, a lot of the guys in the scene. Uh, and I, I saw that there was this budding sort of literary uh, circle. And I thought I'd throw my hat into that race. Um, it, I'm I'm glad that you that you like the book. I'm glad that you think that it's uh, apolitical because that's what I was going for. Because I don't, I I just there's it's so not many guys. Apolitical. I don't want to say it's apolitical. It is political. It's just objective. It's not, you know, it's not. Uh, yeah. You're not beating us over the head with anything at all. You know? Right. 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 I I guess I'm not trying. I'm trying to write. I'm trying to write literature. I'm not trying to uh you know sell sell pens or or anything like that. you know what i mean yeah, um yeah. i i said i've said this on a few different podcasts and I, I i pretty much mean it i think making money or like the pursuit of making money is is kind of gay uh especially if you're doing it through making you know 
selling books. I've seen some really crappy books that are just, you know, somebody cashing in off of a name, like, like all those politician books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, like the Joe Biden coming home or whatever, <laughs> like they're like, or, you don't, and you even don't, like, I, yeah. even on the other side, like Trump has, has a stupid book okay. that he's never even read uh, that he didn't write. Well, actually, you know, no. You're talking about Art of the Deal. No, I'm talking no, about like his great. his. I'm talking about his uh, like campaign books. book. Yeah, yeah. You know, Those like, yeah, I read Art of the Deal. I thought it was great. Yeah, um, no, but but you know what I'm talking about. And then yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like you or know, like a celebrity comes up with a children's book. Yeah, right, right. No, it's just it's uh it's expo it's exploiting the IP. It's like uh you you know what it is. It's when you go to the grocery store and you always you you like the time special supplements about dogs and you're always like who the fuck buys this like magazine do you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 like the magazine the time supplement about dogs i'm like who the fuck buys this and you just realize like people or consumers are so fucking stupid they just something they like that has a name of something they like on it they just buy it right like i like dogs so i'm gonna buy this thing you know, because it, yeah. it's like, I like dogs. Why I want to own more things about dogs. Like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, it's like, that's what so many people do. It's like, uh, they have some name and then they're just like, here's the corresponding thing for you, you to know, buy, and you know? Yeah. I, it, it's very clear. Um, I've met, I've met some people who like wrote for the Atlantic, let's say, you know, it's very clear that I'm just not them yeah yeah so i never i never wanted to be that you know like i i like i like being underground i like being anon i like that i'm writing stuff that people appreciate and like genuinely appreciate you know there are a few people who have bought my book and like just have it on their shelf with a bunch of other dissident right books you know people will buy my book and put by evola and like display it and be like i cool but like have you read those books i don't think so yeah you know uh, but then there are some people who, like, even like yourself, who like write it or read it, engage with it, really enjoy it, and uh, that's that's what I'm doing this for. So, if it if for whatever reason, if my book ever hits the mainstream, that'll be cool. You know, I I I'm not going to turn away success, but I like that. Yeah, you know, it's just, I like the genuine relationship that my book is building with people. Um, and the genuine relationships that I'm building with other Anons on Twitter, uh, like yourself, even, uh, I've, I've made some really good friends in this space um, who, who have done way more for me than I've done uh, for them and have done way more for my book than I've done for my book in terms of marketing it, in terms of, you know, getting it out to people, like recommending it to other people, uh, you know, I, I have a couple of tweets here and there like, hey, another person reviewed my book. Here's how I was like, oh, hey, I'm going to war with Goodreads. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, Billy Pratt is really good with his welcome to hell uh, posts and then just posting a link to his book underneath. He's, he's terrific in marketing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, ju I'm just not, you know, I'd I'd rather let the work kind of uh, speak for itself. And let it's a completely kind of different it. thing. It's totally different. Like they they are selling, you know, they're shit posters. So they it's all kind of more one thing. Even BAP, right? I mean, even BAP, it's like Bronze Age mindset is an extension of his Twitter. 
You know, right. he's not a right. guy who's a writer who is then also on Twitter, you know, like the mainstream writers, you know, like Walter Kern is in our space, right? Uh, he's a writer who also tweets, whereas BAP is one thing, you know, I, I would say Billy Pratt is one thing. Tacos is one thing. It's all one giant performance. Whereas I think you're much more separated. You know, you you have your work and then you have your community, which happens to also be of other writers, but it's not like your shit posts don't directly relate to your work. No, definitely not. And I think I, I, I'm I'm sure that I give people whiplash uh, because I'm very I'm very light and I try to be funny, especially if I'm doing a Twitter space with like stained Haines, uh, or I'm you know shit posting. And then, you know, people come to expect that in my work and they're like, oh my God, you know, I, my, my writing is, I, I try to be serious with my writing. I try to, uh, exercise some, some of my own personal demons and then I just try and have fun on Twitter. So, yeah. Well, dope, man. I, we should find ways for more people to read this book. Uh, it really, it really needs to be widespread and i think it'll get there it's just you know this this takes forever when did it come out uh came out last year it's only been out for a year it came out uh early january of 2022 actually yeah so this year technically yeah yeah yeah. so almost uh, already sold over 200 copies which is way more than i thought that i'd sell Uh, so I'm, i'm super grateful to everyone who's picked up a copy and anybody who's ever just kind of read my work uh, uh to multiply that times a hundred hey i'm i'm all for it you know <laughs> i mean that would still only be twenty thousand. hey that'd be way more than i oh. listen man i'm i'm here i'm here for a good time you know <laughs> right. not a long time yeah hopefully a long time hopefully it's a good long time good time man a long time um, all right, man. Well, dude, this was really, really awesome. Thanks for writing such a great book. Um, any, yeah, where can people find you? Let's do plugs. Sure. So uh, you can find me at Twitter uh, at tr underscore Hudson. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about my profile picture being Soviet propaganda. Right. Uh, that, my yeah. profile picture, you'll know, is the the Niet guy from the from the Soviet propaganda pictures. So that's how you know it's me. Uh, I have a Substack, trhudson.substack.com. I'm the editor, uh, the senior editor at uh, Cars and Women magazine, run by my good friend Stan Haynes at 718TV. Uh, I Passage Prize, I'm submitting to that again. I was shortlisted last year. Hopefully, I, I win it this year. And uh, recently, I won uh, Antelope Hill's Fiction Contest. Oh damn! Nice. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's small victories contest. You can pick up that book uh, at antelopehill.com. Um, yeah, I would. Were those I, stories part of this same world, or is that totally? Different? No, no, totally different. That story was actually um, just based off of something that happened to me in real life. Uh, it's it's about uh, a, a homeless family parks out in front of this guy's house, and he's figuring out what he wants to do about it. <laughs> Ah, that's smart. That's good. Yeah, man, you're you're going places, dude. It's if you're winning these things or you're getting shortlisted, I think it's uh it's it's gonna happen, man. It's uh we just gotta keep it going here. Um, cool, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, let's let's uh do it again sometime. Definitely, always down. I appreciate you having me on. Cool, man. I'm gonna stop recording.